Amen, catfish? What do you think about that? And you bring people. All right. All righty. Well, how many of you are ready to get into the Word of God? You ready? All right. Let's, uh, let's take a look at Romans tonight. And Romans is so rich. We're in chapter 5. And don't sit down yet. We're going to pray. Y'all are sit down way too quick. I've got to stand the whole time. I know. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the Word of God tonight. Lord, we need the Word of God. We need our minds renewed. We need to learn what the Bible says. Now, Lord, help us to understand the height, the depth, the width of the power of the Word of God. Help us to get a grasp of the grand schemes of Scripture, of the plan of salvation, of what God wrought through the centuries in bringing Jesus Christ to the world. Lord, open our eyes and give us understanding that we may please you in our walk with the Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right. God bless you. You can be seated. And if you didn't get the notes tonight, you can get them on your way out. By the time we're done with this series, we're doing a chapter uh, a week. And I've stayed with that. Y'all should give me a hand. Some of you doubted I could do that. I can't tell you what a struggle it is to do that, but I'm doing it. So tonight, we're going to look at the glory of divine acquittal. And let's see what this means now. We saw last time in Romans 4 that salvation is by faith plus works. No. It's by faith what? Alone. That's it. You're saved when you put your faith in Christ. Now, nothing that man does can secure his own salvation. We are saved by faith alone in the finished, complete, and perfect work of Jesus Christ. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. Who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus paid it all, not some. He paid it all, and all to him I owe. Now this time, we're going to explore the benefits of justification. The benefits of justification. That is such a powerful New Testament word, you should never forget what that word means. Justification. What does it mean? Acquitted. I have experienced divine acquittal. I have been declared uh, innocent, guiltless, free, period. It's just like being in court, facing a judge, and the judge says somebody stood in for you, you can go home. So justified means declared righteous. Don't ever forget that word, because if you don't walk in the truth of that, the devil's going to beat your brains out with condemnation. Okay? First, chapter 5 begins with therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Therefore connects two chapters that didn't exist in the original context or in the original text. There were no chapters in the letter to the Romans or any other letter. We created the chapters, all right? So when you see a therefore, what you're really seeing is something that is just a continual flow of a one letter, a single letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. But when you see therefore, you know that it's connecting one thought to another thought. It's making an important connection. So what is therefore? Therefore. He says, therefore, since we have been, what everyone, justified through faith, what did that do for us? Read it with me. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom? 
we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now am I losing y'all okay read with me and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God now one thing about Paul is his sentences run forever you know you talk about Pauline sentences Pauline sentences are like a paragraph he just goes on and he goes on and he goes on he gets so caught up in the flow of the Holy Spirit and his thoughts are, are running under the inspiration of the Spirit in such a way that it's just this endless sentence that is just so packed with power and truth, you've got to go back and dissect it and see what he said. So let's look at what he said. Therefore, connects chapter 5, verse 1, with what Paul had written in the previous chapter. In fact, quote, since we have been justified through faith, summarizes Paul's entire argument in chapters 1 through 4. If you want to know what Paul's prize theological concept or truth was, here's what it was. By faith and faith alone, I have been saved by grace through faith. If, if the man, the great apostle, had a continual theme, something he loved harping on, it was that one because he was raised in works righteousness you got to this you got to that you need to this you need to that don't do this don't do that I mean he was raised in works righteousness that would have made anybody neurotic and so when he finally got a hold of the fact that I don't have to do anything to be saved it was all done by him through him for me and all I've got to do is lean on what he did it just set him free and Martin Luther had the same experience this is why it became his message because he was raised in such heavy-duty works righteousness and that's what religion is religion is always man's greatest attempt to reach God Christianity is man's attempt or God's attempt to reach man. Now let me say that again. Religion is always what you've got to do to reach God. But Christianity is what God did to reach man. Big difference. And if you're religious, then you're hung up. You're bound up. And you need to get a hold of grace by faith. Now, so chapters 1 through 4, it's all Paul is leading up to how to get free of this terrible sin condition and how to get delivered from religion and get brought into relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. That's what he was all about. So let's move on here. Those who have placed their trust in Christ can rest assured that their faith, minus any of their own works, has been credited to them as righteousness. The moment you say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and rose from the dead, and I ask you to forgive me my sins and come into my heart, at that moment, God says, righteous, period. Well, pastor, but I did that, and then I went out and messed up a whole bunch, and I'm still messing up. Matter of fact, I'm a great big mess. I believe God, but I make a lot of mistakes. God sees you through sunglasses. Do you see that? He puts on red-tinted sunglasses. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't, are not supposed to live 
a good a, a life of obedience to him as much as lies within you but on our very best day we can't measure up to what the righteousness of God requires somebody had to do it for us and his name is Jesus now thank God to your account and my account righteousness has been added a deep settled confidence comes to the believer that based on the fact that Christ was put to death for their sins and raised again from the dead they have been declared righteous now remember justified means acquitted freed vindicated Jesus righteousness was literally imputed to our spiritual account through justification it was added to us so justification is a great word now moving along once justified several benefits uh, become ours and they're listed in chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 we're going to look at chapter 5 tonight so let's move along first we experience say it with me a new relationship with God once he has said righteous then we have been justified once justified we have a new relationship with God that we never had before now our new relationship with God brings three additional benefits and let me show you what they are and th these I, I plucked out of that long sentence that we read at the very beginning here they are saying with me can you peace access to God and the hope of glory now let's look at those peace first benefit from having been justified therefore he says since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ now the word peace carries uh, incredibly rich meaning depending on what verse you're reading it can mean several things but in this verse it does not primarily describe a state of inner tranquility it's not talking about you walking around having peace in your heart that's not what it means in this verse to have peace with God in this passage means you and God are not fighting anymore that's what it means see you got to have peace with God before you can have the peace of God now catch that because that's good look what he says he says all hostility caused by sin has been removed did you know that before you were saved you were God's enemy and did you know that before you were saved before I was saved we were the children of the devil Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said you are of your father the devil and his lusts you will do and we were the same way nobody had to teach us how to be wicked and evil and wrong we knew how to do it all by our lonesome okay now <clears throat> so the word peace we now have peace between ourselves and the God with whom we had formerly been at war because of our sinful lifestyles see when you're living in sin you're out there and you're living a sinful lifestyle you're at war with God and God and his displeasure are being manifested in your life and you're reaping the consequences of sin which are death now Romans 8 6 through 8 that we'll get to in a couple of weeks but uh, it describes this war and so let me just jump ahead and read it and this thing is not there we go the mind of sinful man is what everyone it's death but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace now look what it says about the sinful mind what is it it's hostile to God 
And then it goes on. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Before you know Jesus, it is impossible for you to please God in your thought life. You can't do it. Your thoughts will not be submitted to God, nor will they please God. They are at war with God. He said those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. We can't do it. No matter how hard we try before we're saved, we cannot please God. I don't care how good you are or how good you think you are, how much money you give to charity, how many times you go off to church, how good a parent you, you feel like you are. You might be a great parent. I'm not saying you're not. But the bottom line is God's standard of righteousness is so high, so perfect, so up there that he says, my thoughts are not even your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. And you cannot know them, nor can you reach them, nor can you ever live up to my standard and requirements for righteousness. So we're at war with God before we know him. Following justification, the war is over. We now have peace with God. And when you've got peace with God, you have the peace of God. That's why when you got saved, it was this big relief. Ah, and peace came in. But why? Because your whole life was at war with God. And in a battle with you and me and God, I'll tell you who wins. Who is it who ends up in a corner, hurting, miserable, needing help and deliverance. It's not him. Amen? Now look what he says you're granted next. Can you say it with me? Access to God. Once you're justified and you've got peace with God and the peace of God, you have access. What an incredible word. What an incredible thought. He says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Dear church, trust me tonight, you had no access, neither did I, before we were saved. There's only one scarlet key that opens the door and lets you into the presence of God and access to God, and it's the blood. And it's only the blood. All right, so through Christ, we have been ushered into the very presence of God the Father. By faith, we have gained access into the incredible relationship described in Ephesians 2.18. So let's jump to Ephesians see what it says. In verse 18, chapter 2, it says, For through Him we both have what? Access to the Father. How? By one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and you're not an alien, but fellow citizens with God's people, and you are a member of God's household. He let you in the door. He let you into the living room. He let you into His house. And he lets you into his presence. As soon as you call on the name of Jesus, the door swung open via the scarlet key. And now we have access. Boy, I love that. And uh, the word access means a bringing or welcoming in. Now here it particularly refers to our acceptance by God. We are now accepted in or because of or through the Beloved. Amen. Good stuff. And the third benefit of our new relationship with God is this, the hope of sharing the glory of God. It says the hope of the glory of God, but it's talking about the hope of sharing the glory of God. And we rejoice in what everyone, read it with me, the hope of what? The glory of God. So something is happening to the person now that has been justified, 
that has peace with God and then the peace of God and now has access into his presence, something gets birthed inside of you and it is a hope. The hope that one day you will enjoy in all of its fullness the glory of God. And it begins to burn inside of you. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at what's going on in our world, I catch myself saying, you know, Lord, I love living and I love uh, ministering to people and I love what I do, but something in me is getting a little bit homesick. Because you know what? I'm looking forward to that day when, when life, uh, mortality is swallowed up by immortality and we enter into the fullness of the glory of God. And that's what happens when you've been justified and you get the peace with God and then the peace of God and then you start enjoying access to God and you get a taste of that presence of God. You say, oh, come on, I'm ready to be swallowed up by that glory one day. Amen. <clears throat> and the third benefit is all about facing the future with joy. See, it's not just about eternity. It's not just about the hereafter, that hope of glory. But it's about the here and now. The word hope means to anticipate something good. Now, I want you to think about fear for a minute. What does fear tell you? Fear tells you that something bad's going to happen to you. Isn't that what fear tells you? But you know what hope tells you? Something good's going to happen to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk in fear. I don't want to wake up with dread. I don't want to go through my day afraid that something bad is going to happen to me. I want to walk in hope because hope says something good is on the way because you have been justified. You have peace with God, the peace of God. You have access to God, and you've had a taste of the glory of God. And now uh, I, I have hope not only for the hereafter but for the here and now. Oral Roberts used to say something good is going to happen to you today. Wouldn't you like to wake up instead of going, oh, no, what am I going to do? What about the money? What about the kids? What about this and that and the other? How about just waking up and saying, something good is going to happen to me today. I believe God for it. Well, I'm about to preach and quit teaching. In other words, the person with hope wakes up with a happy expectation. Now, folks, I'm not kidding. This is Bible hope. Bible hope is a verb. It means you wake up and you go through your day and you go through your life with a confident expectation that good things are coming. We might call it happy hope. What are you so happy about? Oh, I've got happy hope. Well, where'd you get that? I got it from Jesus Christ. I didn't smoke it, snort it, shoot it, drink it. I got it from Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, the person who is justified by Christ is filled with hope for the glory of God in the hereafter, and they're also uh, filled with hope of reflecting or displaying the same glory in the here and now. He said in uh, Peter, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people, that you may tell, that you may what? Hide? Tell of the wonderful deeds and do what read it with me display the virtues and the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you are a billboard you're a billboard 
You are a billboard. You are supposed to be a neon sign. And God's greatest billboard is your face and what you say and how you live. And he says, not only do you have hope for the hereafter, but you've got hope for here and now that you're going to reflect and display the glory of God while people look and see. Now, that's good stuff, and I could linger there, but I've got to move on. Everybody happy that you've got those benefits? Amen? Amen? All right, so say it with me again. Peace, access, hope. Give the Lord a hand for his blessing on our life. Amen. Now, next, Paul is going to take it a step further and say, let me talk to you about suffering. Now, I know nobody in here suffers, ever, but buy the CD and take it to a sufferer. How many of you have suffered this week in some way, shape, or form? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, you suffered some. You know why? Because we live in a fallen, flawed world. And so there is suffering in this world. Jesus promised us, not a promise you want to claim, but he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation because it is a tribulation-infested world. But fear not, I have overcome the world. Now, let's talk about a new concept of suffering that Paul talks about. Quote, he says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. And James said the same thing in the first chapter of James. Because we know. Can everybody say with me, no? If you don't know this, then you're not going to rejoice in suffering. But if you know what we're about to read, you can rejoice even in suffering. Here's what he said. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces, there's that word again. Now isn't that funny? Because we're looking here at one thing that leads to another that leads to another. Or cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. You go through suffering, it develops perseverance. Perseverance is developed, you start forming character. When godly character is developed, you start walking around in a level of hope you didn't used to have. Wow, okay. And look what it says about this Bible hope. Hope does not leave us disappointed. Because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Now watch this carefully. Here's the principle. Christian suffering or the suffering of a Christian is not like the suffering of a non-Christian. Because the non-Christian does not have the Holy Ghost and the will of God operating in them to form character. It is dead men walking and dead men suffering. But look at this. Christian suffering is a source of joy because its purpose is to build character in the life of the believer. Like it or not, suffering produces maturity. So can I give you some news tonight that you may want to not want to take home with you, but, and you may not want to accept it, but it doesn't matter. It's true anyway. There's going to be some suffering in your life. You're going to have some suffering in your life. Now, am I saying that God gives it all to you? No, some of it you'll do all by yourself. You'll bring it on yourself. God won't have to do much. But you're going to have suffering in your life. You're going to have some physical suffering, some emotional suffering. 
You're going to have some heartbreaks, some disappointments, some disillusionments, some discouragements. People are going to let you down. Some of the dreams that you're reaching for are going to seem to be shattered. Sometimes the going is going to be tough, gritty, sweaty, bloody. Well, thanks, Pastor Jeff, for those encouraging words. Now what? Well, you can't get away from that because of the world we live in. And I would be lying to you if I told you it was going to be any other way. It's just not true. But here's the good news. God never wastes a pain. I'm going to say it again. God never wastes a pain. God's going to get character out of your suffering as long as you don't get bitter and walk away. If you'll just say, Lord, I give it all to you and I'm trusting you and I'm going on with you, God says, got it. You get mad at God, you're going to have to work through the anger that you have at God and get over it. Because there's not one thing that God does in your life that He doesn't do for your good. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is, He always does right. So whether you bring it on yourself or circumstances beyond your control bring it on you, you're going to suffer. There's going to be some suffering. Not only suffering, but life is a mixed bag. It just is. It's a mixed bag. There's good. I've noticed. I'll get up and I'll have several blessings in my day. And and then right when I think it's going to be a day full of nothing but blessings, something happens. And I got to deal with that thing called reality. And so that even when I have a blessed day, I still have to deal with some tough stuff. And that's life on earth. So what are you going to do with it? Well, you can mope and pout and and pick up your marbles and go home and get out of church and quit praying and have a pity party that nobody comes to after a while except other mopers and pouters and or you can get a hold of the truth of the word and look at what he says here suffering produces maturity this maturity comes in stages and it begins with the development of perseverance all right perseverance means simply patiently waiting with a joyful attitude. It does not mean waiting like this. Well, where are you? It doesn't mean being clock-eyed with God and carrying a bad attitude towards Him because you're not having a continual party. It means, I believe in the character of God. My God is good and only good all the time. And I know that even though this hurts and I am in pain and I am in suffering, my God is going to work this together for my good. And so I will praise Him. I'm going to praise Him. Let me tell you, you can go around the mountain 40 times or you can get it over with first time around. You can pout and moan and gripe and complain and go round and round and round the same mountain. Or you can say, all right, I'm going to learn. I'm sick of defeating myself. So, Lord, I praise you. In the midst of this, I'm not going to gripe, complain. I trust you that you're going to work this out for my good. And before you know it, all of a sudden, you're way down the road. You have to trust God. Perseverance is also a verb, and it means you are patiently waiting with a joyful attitude Paul says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
when you're in God's hands. The Greek word we translate into suffering literally means pressure. It describes distress brought about by outer circumstances. Okay? So suffering is transliterated from a Greek word means pressure. Anybody have any pressure here today? Pressure. The truth about the Christian life, here it is, the cross and the crown go together. The grief and the glory work hand in hand. Was that really biblical, Pastor Jeff? Listen, difficult circumstances, pressures, trials, and sufferings work for the good of the believer because God has decreed that they shall work for the good of the believer. We know this verse, but I want us to read it all together. I mean, this is one of the best known, but do you really believe it? Let's read it together. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? That you be like Jesus Christ. So if you're called to that purpose, to be like Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, that's your call, then it's all going to work for your good. God has decreed it so. Let's tear a page from Paul's diary and listen to what he went through and tell me if it wasn't a mixed bag for him. <clears throat> but we are handicapped on all sides, but we are never frustrated. We are puzzled, but never in despair. We are persecuted, but we never have to stand it alone. Man, that's good. <clears throat> we may be knocked down, but we are what? Never knocked out. Every day we experience something of the death of Jesus so that we may also know the power of the life of Jesus in these bodies of ours. Now, do you hear that mixed bag? Knocked down, but not out distress but not in despair on and on always a dichotomy a paradox of experiences you hear that they're going through something that would crush most people but right there next to it is the grace of God working with them and causing it to work for their good now next Paul says all right once you've got perse perseverance here comes character the Greek literally says proven character it means character that has been tested and found to be genuine like you would uh, you know, like uh, some people in the olden days, they would bite something that was supposed to be gold. And they could tell when they bit it whether or not it was real gold or not. If their tooth broke off, it was not real gold. But they tested things before they bought them. Once they were proven to be real. And that's what it's saying here. That when you and I as believers go through trials and difficulties and sufferings, and God is and we, we hang in there with God and we worship Him and we keep walking and He works into our life that character, that perseverance, then it says now your character is proven through testing. It's found to be genuine. The Amplified Bible says, and endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character, approved faith, and tried integrity. Now, here's, watch this. You're going through a suffering, whatever it may be, physical, mental, spiritual, whatever it is, heartbreak, whatever, you're suffering. And you say, Lord, I'm just going to walk with you. I trust you. Uh, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to go off into sin. I, I'm not going to develop a bad attitude. I'm just going to walk through this with you. 
And invariably, in suffering, you are faced with choices. Do I believe God or do I not? Do I go on with Him or do I not? Do I chuck all this and go my own way or do I stay with Him? When you make good choices in the presence of suffering, that's what builds character. Do you get that? Because the character is forged in the furnace of fire. So that when you come out, man, that character is cemented in. When you make those decisions in the tough times, that's who you are. When we pass through difficult times and emerge on the other side with our faith intact and with the right attitude, it can be said that our character has been proven. Now, God didn't need it proven. God knows what's in you. But it proved, it solidified, it cemented your godly character. Watch this carefully. God is far more concerned with how you go through a trial than what the trial was. God's more concerned about your character than your comfort. <laughs> That's why a lot of people don't want to walk with our God, with the God of the Bible, because they want to be spoiled rotten. But listen, our God cares enough to take away your comfort to get you some character. You better remember that, because he'll get you out of that lazy boy. He'll get you away from that TV. He knows just how to do it. He just turns the furnace up a little bit, gets a little hot under you, and all of a sudden you're in church. Oh, hallelujah. That's right. And finally, proven character produces hope. Here we go. Wow, look at this, this progression. That is, proven character produces the ability to maintain joy and confidence in God even when the chips are down and the going is rough. See, God's got to get you that mature character because mature character doesn't pout. Mature character in God doesn't complain. Mature character, can I be honest with you about something here? Uh, I don't think that he would mind. My friend Tom Dooley is suffering. And I go see him pretty often, and I'm... Uh, I feed him a little bit and I talk to him and I read him the Psalms let me tell you what I know about Tom I'll say Tom how you doing I'm okay praise God praise God thank you Jesus I'm okay he'll say slurred I'll say anything I can do for you just pray for me read me the Bible and so I'll open up the Psalms and I'll start to read them. And I'll pick Psalms that I know Tom loves. And I, over and over again as I'm reading the Psalm, he just starts praising God. He can't, he can't move his left side, so he uses the right arm. And I've learned something about Tom's character. I'm going to brag on him a minute. I see this up here. Proven character, mature character, is the result of perseverance. 
And when you have mature godly character, you get out of this whining, complaining, wilderness attitude. Wah, 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 wah. And you praise God. My friend, Tom, is fighting for his life, but he still praises God all the time. It's convicted me. I hope, I wish, I think, I don't know if I would do as well. That's what this is talking about here. We've got to get out of this wilderness attitude. Folks, it's only going to get tougher in this country. The times are going to get harder. There's no way that they're not going to get harder. We're broke. I mean, listen, if you don't know how to get a hold of God now, you better learn. And if you're a, a big baby crying all the time to God, whining and moping, better get over it and better... Right here, get some proven character and start praising Him. You're going to need it. That's going to carry you through. Are you all with me? <clears throat> now, our hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. We can place hope in a lot of things that will end up disillusioning us and frustrating us and disappointing us. But you know what? Not the hope you place in Jesus Christ. That hope will never leave you feeling like the fool and it will never disappoint you because one day soon you're going to hear a voice. A trumpet's going to blow and up you're going to go and you're going to realize none of my hope, none of my hope was in vain. Praise God, I'm about to preach again. Now let me just, let me move along here because we've got to finish this up. Everybody happy? All right, let's finish out the chapter. Now next, Paul launches into a how much more argument. And I love this one. He begins by pointing out the absurdity that one man would die for another man who happened also to be his enemy. He said, you know and I know that selfish people being selfish people aren't going to die for an enemy. So look what he says. You see, he says, quote, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a good man Though for a good man, somebody might possibly die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners at war with him, hating him, cursing him, blaspheming him, Jesus died for us. Paul's point is, if God did all of this for us while we were yet in our sins and still his enemy... Everybody say with me, how much more? Think about it. How much more will he do now that we are his kids? Now let's read it together. Quote, are you ready? Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If God did that for you when you were spitting in his face, what's he going to do for you now? How much more, now that you're his child? He'll move heaven and earth to get an answer to you. Amen? Are y'all blessed over there, way over in the corner? All right. I know I don't look over there enough. I had somebody complain to me. They said, you never walk over to this side. You always walk over to the other side. Walk over and look at us. 
All right. I looked at him real good. Now, once we grasp this kind of love, hope springs eternal. We know that if God would do all of this, then we know that we shall be saved from any and all wrath on the judgment day. Now, here's what the immature Christian doesn't know. He does not have that confident hope. Look what John says about fear. He says, in love, there's no fear. Dread does not exist in the presence of love. But full-grown, complete, perfect, mature love, the kind we're talking about that comes from character development, that kind of love turns fear out the door and expels every trace of terror. Now look what it says about the fearful person. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment, and that's talking about future punishment, the judgment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love. If you're afraid to meet God and you're a believer, as you grow in Him, that fear is going to go away. And you're going to get developed. And you're going to say, you know what? Uh-uh. If He was willing to do all that for me when I was in sin, look what He'll do now. Now let's finish up. St starting at verse 12, Paul launches into extended contrast between Adam, the first man, and the results of his sin, and Jesus Christ, the second man, and His atoning life and death. Look what he says in verse 12. Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all inherited the sin of Adam, and death was the consequence of Adam's sin for everybody. But now here's something you might have wondered. What about those who lived between Adam and Moses, who didn't know what sin was because they didn't have the law? They didn't have the Ten Commandments. What about them? Paul answers, verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now here's what he's saying. Sin was not added to men's accounts prior to Moses' law in the same way it was afterward. Nevertheless, death still reigned from Adam to Moses because we all inherited Adam's condemnation. Here's what he's saying. He's saying once the law was given, then it was very clear what was wrong and right and what God required. But until then, from Adam to Moses, men were sort of in a fog. The clarification of sin had not come. So God did not impute to their account responsibility like He did for those following light the light of God's word see right now tonight as you hear the word of God you're responsible for what you heard it's dangerous to come to church all right now but from Adam to Moses they still died everybody died why because there was sin in the world it just hadn't been put under the magnifying glass of the Ten Commandments Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, in verses 15 and 19, Paul is going to make five comparisons, and we're going to go through them real quickly, between Jesus Christ and Adam, or what's called the first Adam and the second Adam, or the first man and the second man, showing the superiority of the gift of grace over the curse of sin and death. First, 
And he's bragging on what Jesus did. He compares Adam's trespass, through which many died, to the free gift of God's grace in Christ, which has abounded for many. Let's read verse 15. But the gift of grace is not like the trespass. For if the many, and that means everybody, died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Thank God. So there he is again with another how much more. Now second, he compares the condemnation that followed Adam's trespass and the justification that follows the free gift of God's grace. Here it is. Again, Paul says, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. If you're not forgiven by the blood, you are under condemnation. But the gift, the gift of grace followed many trespasses and brought what? Justification. So there's two kinds of people in the world. Here they are. They're either under condemnation or they're under justification. One or the other. Now third, he compares the death that reigned through Adam's trespass and the much greater reign in the lives of those who receive the free gift of God's grace. Here's verse 17, quote, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness do what? Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What a powerful passage. You know, for a preacher like me, it's real hard to scoot past these verses and not park there and preach. But I want you to catch these now. Now here's fourth. He contrasts the condemnation that came to all people through Adam's trespass and the far greater acquittal that comes to all people through Christ's act of righteousness. Here's verse 18. Quote, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was what? Justification that brings life for all men, particularly those who believe. All right, now fifth and last, he compares the disobedience of Adam through which all of us were made sinners to the obedience of Christ through which many will be made righteous. Here's verse 19, quote, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many, all, were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man. Mm-mm-mm. One man's sin, we all got condemned. One man walked perfectly. We, anybody that calls on him can be made righteous. All right? He says, the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. He ends chapter 5, <clears throat> magnifying the triumph of grace. Let's stand together and we'll read these last two passages out loud together. Read it with me. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, so that sin might be known. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness 
to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's what he was saying and we close. From Moses to Jesus, death reigned like an evil dictator. But from Jesus onward, grace reigns like a righteous king through Jesus Christ. Amen. Good stuff. Next time, dead to sin, alive in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray that you will apply it to our hearts. And thank you for helping us to reach this lost world. Bless everyone. And thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, that was good. All right, you're dismissed. God bless you.